many have attempted to give potted histories of the life of Alistair Crowley. Ironically, of the potted histories I have read, few seem to understand the first thing about him, and most likely have never read a single book by him. I want to talk about Alistair Crowley here, but I don't want to fall into that same hackneyed trap. Instead, they often repeat things they found shocking about the man from other potted histories they have read and never questioned whether what they are repeating was actually true. So how to go about this and talk about Alistair Crowley in a new way? I can tell you that when he lived at Boleskine House in the parish of Abertarf on the banks of Loch Ness, my own great-grandfather was a neighbour and knew him quite well. They played chess together. That's how they first met. Such a charismatic figure as Crowley naturally survived in oral history. My great-grandfather, to give some perspective to what they might have talked about, was himself a reader of Madame Blavatsky, having also a strong interest in the occult practices, such as spiritualism and the pseudosciences of that era. My grandmother, who was born in the vicinity of Boleskine, despite being very young at the time, remembered him walking around Foyer's village in a long black cloak. Despite the occultish claims that have been written and copied many times, one of Crowley's main interests in that part of Scotland was the mountains. He was, of course, a mountaineer of some note. The Mona Lea mountain range, also known as the Grey Hills, are found between Loch Ness in the northwest and the River Spey in the southeast. The range itself has several summits, with elevations greater than 3,000 feet, which makes them officially defined as what is called Munros. Munros are named after Sir Hugh Munro, who produced the first list of such hills, known as Munros Tables, in 1891. There is much myth about Crowley assuming the name Alistair. Their claims amuse Scots occultists, since we know that the name Alexander which Crowley was blessed with, is pronounced Alistair in Scottish Gaelic. My great-grandfather was such an Alexander Alistair, as was my father, although in my father's case, it is said he was named for Crowley. Adopting the Gaelic pronunciation of his name would also have suited Crowley, who believed he was of ancient Celtic stock. Crowley, always flamboyant and dramatic, would have saw the name Alistair, has been fitting to his new role as the Laird of Boleskine. It is known that on his return to London he is known to have been seen in full Highland dress. Two things have always seemed odd to me, at least in the case of Crowley, ever the showman. The first is that Crowley could have petitioned Lord Lyon, Scotland's King of Arms, for armigerous bearings, that is a coat of arms, and likely would have been granted the territorial designation for Boleskine which would indeed have made him the Laird of Boleskine, and given him a position in both the British gentry and Scots nobility. Instead, he simply called himself the Laird of Boleskine and Abertorf, and bedecked himself in Highland regalia. Seems to me that he wanted to wear the costume and live in fantasy and pretense when it could so easily have become a reality for him. The other thing is, he did not become a Freemason. Crowley was not a Freemason. There is some very fake document out there of some fictitious clandestine lodge 
but he was not admitted to either Grand Lodge of England nor Grand Lodge of Scotland. Seems odd that someone on the periphery of such secret organisations seemed to shy away from becoming a Freemason. Or is it just that he knew he would not be able to control or take over such an organisation? Like he could control a small bunch of quacks and crackpots like W.B. Yeats. In 1900, while the poet W.B. Yeats was heading a meeting of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, he was attacked by an astral siege from none other than Alistair Crowley. Crowley wearing a black Osiris mask and a Scottish kilt, accompanied by his mistress, bust into the temple, casting spells and brandishing daggers. They intended to take the temple for Mathers, but were unsuccessful. The police came, they were taken to court, and the London chapter of the Golden Dawn won on the day as they had paid the rent on the space. Meanwhile, back at Boleskine, Alistair Crowley came to Boleskine House in 1899 with the express purpose of performing an elaborate magical ritual there. Part of the ceremony involved summoning demonic entities and binding them with the goal of removing the negative influences from the magician's life. The ritual and its aftermath is where much of the present-day Boleskine legend comes from. Opposite Boleskine House is the Fraser clan graveyard. Before the graveyard, there was a medieval church stood on that site, which had a reputation for strange activity. It is said that the manor itself was steeped in darkness long before Crowley ever moved in, and not much has changed to remove this dark energy. Shadowy figures were said to roam the entrance hall, with lights having to be used even on the brightest of days. The ghostly head of Simon, Lord Lovett, is said to haunt Boleskine. Crowley himself wrote about the ghostly head of Lord Lovett rolling around the corridor. Boleskine Manor is believed to have been built atop the ruins of a 10th century church that burnt to the ground during the service, killing all the congregants inside. It is generally believed Crowley came to Boleskine House to seclude himself and performed the six-month magic ritual from the Book of Sacred Magic of Abramelin the Mage. Alistair Crowley is without doubt one of the most charismatic, hedonistic and mysterious figures of the 20th century. Some would rather call him the wickedest man in the world than accept that his writings are brilliant and even genius. His writings and life portray a somewhat charismatic man who was not afraid to follow his own path. It was, however, St. Augustine of Hippo who gave us these words in his homilies on the first epistle of John. Love and do what thou wilt. Which Thelemites know better as, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. Tenets which cruelly urge people should use in everyday communications and used them himself to greet people. 